of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with one of our favorite guests of all time, the Power of Zero author, David McKnight, also father of seven. I forget, or eight. So, <laughs> yes, I'm in good company. Seven, that's exactly right. So this should be the, the Dads of Seven podcast. So uh, love to have you on as many times as we can. Uh, we're talking about uh, ju- just... You were sharing with me something that happened in the news this week. Um, let's talk about it. What happened with Dave Ramsey this week? Yeah, so so yesterday, Dave Ramsey was in the news. There's a, another financial advisor had um, had tweeted a s- segment of his video that actually aired on November second, and um, in that segment, um, a caller called in and said. Hey, I know you always talk about how in retirement we can take 8% withdrawals, 8% sustainable withdrawals throughout our entire retirement because we're going to be getting exactly 12% every single year. Therefore, there's no problem with it. I know that that's what you've always said, but I was listening to uh, a video done by, you know, your sometimes co-host uh George Camel in which he stated that there is academic research and historical track record and a lot of verified data that says that you should probably not take more than 4%. And in some cases, you should not take more than 3% of your day one retirement balance adjusted for inflation every year thereafter for the balance of your retirement. And uh, Dave Ramsey <clears throat> proceeded to absolutely eviscerate for uh, George Camel um, and, and basically says, I can't believe he put out that trash. I can't believe that he... We're going to have to take that down. I don't know where he got those numbers from. And so I went back and looked at uh, the, the actual clip, and it was a very innocuous clip. Then he used lots of academic data to back, back everything up. And uh, Dave Ramsey proceeded to go on this rant where he says that anybody who tells you you can't take an 8% withdrawal rate in retirement, they're just nerds sitting in their parents' basements, punching on a calculator. They don't have real money like I do. If they had real money like I do, then they would, you know, you know, I might be willing to listen to him, but none of them have any money. So why should I listen to what they had to say? In the meantime, his daughter, Rachel, is trying to get a word in edgewise to sort of calm him down and say, hey, maybe George has a point here. Um, but really, what this whole episode did was put in sharp relief this whole idea that Dave Ramsey is good at a lot of stuff. But when it comes to investing, he puts a lot of crazy stuff out there. Uh, not only is it crazy, but it's actually harmful to his um, to to his listeners because um, you, you know, we we all know Wade Fow, and Wade Fow has said that if if you have 100% stocks, which is what Dave Ramsey recommends, and you take an 8% withdrawal rate, which is what Dave Ramsey recommends, you have something like an 11% chance that your money will last through a 30-year retirement. So he's setting them up for failure, you know, basically 89% of the time. And so Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, of course, says, well, if you if you have to do a 4% rate of return, you have to save twice as much money. That's not a very hopeful, optimistic message to be said. Sending out the people, you're basically telling them that they have to save twice as much money as they really have to, and that's just not a hopeful message. So uh, it was all over Twitter, all over social media yesterday, and absolutely uh, blew up. And uh, I got a video coming out on, on it next week, but it's it was a real big moment um, in terms of people having this realization over what Dave Ramsey really is good at and what he's not good at. Wow. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to look for it, guys. Can you find it? I want to see this. Uh, th- this is uh, shocking news, broken by David McKnight of the Power of Zero. Not really shocking. Shocking if you follow Dave Ramsey. So, what was more shocking was George Camel actually said something that seemed reasonable: the four percent rule, which has been, you know, back from 1994, the William Bengen Trinity study, and then Wade Fow kind of said, hey, you know, wait, why don't we do 3%? Why don't we do 2%? Whatever it is, it's Wade Faust says 1.9%. George Campbell says 4%. 
What's that guy? Michael Kitsis says between three and 4%, whatever it is. If you have a portfolio and you don't have life insurance, which by the way, there is a way to spend 8% a year out of your portfolio. And that's generally by leaving a death benefit to your loved ones, spending all of your assets, amortizing it over a 30 year period, which is going to be more tax efficient, but they don't believe in that because they don't believe in permanent life insurance of any type. So that's a whole nother thing. But if your assets are your insurance policy, which is kind of what they're talking about, you buy term, you invest the difference, everything works out. Although how many, before you were kind of a best-selling author and all these other things, you were a financial advisor, correct? Mm-hmm. How yep. many people, because this will be a fun question. How many people actually bought term and saved the difference? How many people religiously followed Dave Ramsey's advice and accumulated $2 million or $5 million nest egg? Yeah, I think that I think that people that 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 said, okay, I'm I'm gonna like actually buy term and invest the difference. Not not really many people did. I think you had people that were already saving money well, and then they said, hey, I've got an insurance need, uh, so I'm gonna go buy a term policy to cover the insurance need for that term in my life where I think I'm most vulnerable. Uh, should I, you know, have a, a premature demise? But uh, no, that's not that's not really. Uh, what what happens, and that, that's something I address in an upcoming book um, on on Dave Ramsey's that buy term invest a difference is not a real true apples to apples comparison. It's more like fruit salad, but I don't want to get too far off track. Um, but Dave Ramsey, yeah, he's just he's got a lot of pearls out there. Here's why I want to go on this track a little bit because I interview 2,500 people a year, belly to belly people with. Between two and ten million net worth, we 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 see people with five hundred thousand invest, three hundred thousand invest, ten million to invest. Most all the people with north of two million have gotten it through their income via savings, not through investing in the stock market for the most part. Some have invested and they've accumulated two million dollars in a four hundred one k, five million dollars in a retirement plan, whatever it might be, but. Very few regular people, like the Dave Ramsey core audience, I would see one out of a hundred, somebody making between 50 and 100 grand a year, who actually accumulates $2 million from religiously buying one mutual fund and letting it be. I met with a couple even yesterday, they had 700 grand in a fund that they kept for 20, 30 years. But that's like a very few and far between thing. It's not, here's what I normally hear. Oh, I went to a thing at my church and I canceled my whole life policy because of me and a good financial steward. I canceled my universal life. Um, but now I can't get any term anymore. And I developed cancer. I developed fibroids. I developed heart attack, stroke, can't and I can't get insurance anymore. And now I have 200 grand in my name. I was saving a lot. I was I was doing the debt snowball and then now I have 50 grand in my name cuz I I can't work anymore. I didn't buy disability insurance. I didn't I spent all my whole life cuz he told me to cash it out to pay off my credit card debt. And and they die like my father did at 70 71, wonderful man who went to one of these programs at a church. And this is what kind of prompted me to get in the financial industry. He was a good, smart guy, my dad. Getting out of debt is a good, smart thing to do. I'm all for that. But at, at the expense of protecting your family, canceling your insurances, and then so many times, I hear horror story every year of somebody who says, uh, I know a pastor who has uh, cancer now. They, they canceled their insurance. And it was because of that type of misinformation that is plentiful. That's why I'm ticked yeah, off. Yeah, I would it. say, yeah. So, so here is how I would characterize uh, Dave Ramsey. I, I would say, you know, Dave Ramsey is not all bad. I, I, I would say that Dave Ramsey is good for bad investors, but he's bad for good investors. In other words, if you make $50,000 per year and you're spending $60,000 per year, then Dave's your guy. I think he's got a pretty good, you know, step by step 
program to get people out of debt and to sort of get them at least saving, which is better than what they were doing beforehand. But if you're already a good saver, you're already disciplined, you're already doing a good job of of putting money away uh, into your company plan or IRAs, Roth IRAs, what have you, and um, you don't need help with, with you know liquidating debt and getting on with your life, Dave Ramsey is precisely not the person with whom you should be uh, working or seeking investment advice because the type of investment that he gives out is just, uh, it's what I call in my upcoming book, it's, it's a guru gap. It's, it's Dave Ramsey gets you this far and then he stops. And then the advice that you need to, that, that, you're, that, 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 that your financial plan calls for or requires to help you wring the most efficiency out of your retirement dollars, there's a whole gap there that he doesn't fill. And that's what guys like you and I, Josh, we're trying to do is we're trying to fill that gap where the, where the guru sort of comes up short. But, but lately, Dave Ramsey is not just coming up short on his advice. He's actually giving out bad advice, whether it's buy term, invest a difference, get rid of your, I mean, well, here's an interesting thing that he says. He says, you should not get a, um, for example, an index universal life policy because it has a surrender charge. However, if you have an index universal life policy, you should surrender it immediately, regardless of what the surrender charge is. In other words, assume the brunt of the penalty for surrendering the policy, which is precisely the reason he said you shouldn't get the policy to begin with. So, um, you know, I, I think that you're you're right, Josh. I mean, he's uh, dispensing a lot of advice that's um, leading people astray. Subtitle of my new book is Why Financial America's Financial Advisors Are leading you astray and how to get back on track. And so um, I, 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 I train my sites, not just on Dave Ramsey, but on Susie Orman and Ramit Sadie and the White Coat Investor and Clark Howard, so on and so forth, because they all participate in this vague, generalized financial planning uh, to some extent. And I would even, yeah, and, and it's just wrong. I just think back what happened to my parents. These people you know, they have a holy jihad against insurance products. Yet, even if you believed that, right, you shouldn't cancel your term insurance. You should have term insurance equal to 20 times your salary. You should have disability insurance equal to two thirds of your salary. Even if you didn't believe in index universal life or whole life, but that doesn't really, you know, come to the forefront. So what people hear when they go to one of these programs at a church or they listen to Susie on CNBC, if she's still on anymore, I don't even know if she's still on. I haven't seen her on TV in a while. Sometimes she's on PBS specials, but they, they listen to life insurance, bad investments, good. And then they never actually save the difference even. And there might be 1% or 2% that successfully buy term and save the difference. But the vast majority of people, they don't save enough. And whether, you know, if you're saving 15% of your pay religiously from 30 to 65, if you're buying term and saving the difference, you're probably going to be successful. If you're buying whole and saving the difference or buying IUL and saving the difference, you're probably going to be successful because of the savings rate. But there are these people, they listen to the soundbite, they cancel the policy, to, and then they have some type of calamity that happens. I was just on the phone with a client before, oh, uh, the wife is really disabled now. And, you know, doesn't have disability insurance because they became clients after they were too old and uninsurable. But it, it's, you know, when you're, if, if every 20-something in America got term insurance equal to 20 times their pay, and disability insurance equal to two-thirds their pay, you wouldn't have many problems, you know, other than unemployment. So let's talk about this book more. The new book, I'm really excited about it, Guru, How America's Financial Gurus Are Leading You Astray and How to Get Back on Track. What do you get? You know, we're in this YouTube social media culture. I'm going to start with like the negative what do you get people say? This is a hit piece. You're clout chasing. You're just trying to make yourself look bigger by picking on somebody like Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman. And by the way, I respect all of these gurus in one way or another. I think Ramsey getting out of debt and getting out of credit card debt, that is his biggest contribution. Debt snowball, 
although he got that from other people, the popularization of that, living on a budget, I'm all for that. But um, what do you about people say this, this book's just a hit piece? Yeah, you know, and I get that a lot on my YouTube channel because about every fourth or fifth video that I put out there is about a guru and the bad advice that they're dispensing. But I have lots of, I have lots of, you know, caveats where I say, look, you know, I'm acknowledging, I'm fully acknowledging that these people are famous because they've done good for a lot of people. And like I said, if you're making 50 and spending 60, these are precisely the people that you should be following with precision. However, if you are a sophisticated, disciplined investor, their advice many times will lead you astray. For example, uh, Dave Ramsey, and, and part of the problem is they're addressing such a large audience that they have to dispense one size fits all black and white advice that's devoid of nuance um, to, to be able to feel like they're not excluding anyone. So they have to sort of position it in such broad, generalized terms that everybody feels like, hey, Dave's speaking to me, right? And so the advice that they dispense tends to be um, you know, monolithic and one size fits all. The problem with that is if you take one size fits all advice and apply it to your situation that calls for nuance and um, a tailored financial plan, then you're, you're actually, mathematically speaking, you're going to run out of money prior to when you otherwise would have run out of money because of that. For example, Dave Ramsey says, uh, life insurance is 100% crap 100% of the time, permanent life insurance. There's never any scenario in which life insurance, permanent life insurance, would help you out. So in the book, I go over three scenarios where mathematically speaking, permanent life insurance will extend the life of your investments much, much further than not using life insurance at all. Same goes for, for annuities. And so the problem is, and, and Susie Orman, for example, says, if anybody ever brings up permanent life insurance, you're to turn around, run away, never talk to that person again. David, David Ramsey says the only person that ever touches permanent life insurance is either a dupe or they just haven't researched it enough. So. Um, you know, th these are the what types of one-size-fits-all financial planning uh, strategies and advice that I'm trying to combat. So, yeah, I recognize that there's a lot of fans of Dave Ramsey out there that may not like this book, but I would just encourage them to read the book and see what you make of it, because I think you'll be surprised by what you read. But I would say, hmm, it's interesting. Everything you're saying is great. Get the book. Is it on Amazon? Where, where do you prefer people buy it's the not, book? It's not even for sale yet. I actually just I just uh, gave it to my my agent yesterday. So. Oh, great. Well, 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 we're looking forward but to it. But it was so timely because of what happened yesterday that I thought it would be a good. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. When, when you launch the book, um, get it on pre-orders. We're also going to get your take on Curtis Ray is kind of a guy who swept the nation on TikTok. Actually, he's reached out on me, out to me, because uh, I, I guess he's looking for representatives. Um, seems like a nice enough guy, but he has this MPI thing. I want to get your take on that. And then, folks, if you want one of David McKnight's books, we will give you one at no charge. Call us at 888-988-JOSH. The top five books in the David McKnight catalog, Power of Zero. Look Before You Lerp, The Volatility Shield, which is Howard Bernheim, my CFA, CFP, CF, CPA on my, on my staff's favorite book of yours, Tax-Free Income for Life, and if you like nonfiction, The Infinity Code, which is a nonfiction kind of a Da Vinci Code type thriller. Uh, so give us a call, 888-988-JOSH. But we're going to, a lot, lot on your YouTube channel, a lot of good videos. You just dropped the one on Curtis Ray uh, four hours ago. And here's the thing. Here's what I would, how I would answer the hit piece thing. Four years, insurance-friendly financial advisors, right? People would think it may have a place. If, if you're a financial advisor who ever would recommend permanent life insurance or an annuity, you're instantly demonized by these prophets of financial misinformation. They paint with broad brushstrokes in a way that I would say is not just good for 50K income people. I say it's also damaging to them because I saw what happened to my parents. They were devastated when my dad was disabled at 40. 
And it was because now, okay, did the guy who sell him universal life in the eighties, maybe of his best interest at heart, maybe not. Did he have the best policy? Maybe not. But you know what his, one of his dying regrets was cashing out his whole life policy in the eighties. He had a couple hundred thousand and he would have loved the pride of giving a quarter million dollars to his four kids, split four ways, tax-free. But because he followed, and before Dave Rams, there was a guy, Larry Burkett, it was similar type advice um, and, and kind of the, the precursor to that. And his financial life never recovered from early disabilities. So I would say this is financial misinformation that applies to everyone. Now, I've watched the Ramsey 12 videos, 12-step videos. 11 of 12 of them, I think, are really good. Um, and they're only parts of the insurance investment ones that I disagree with, such the demonization of life insurance at all time. But I don't, I don't think this hippies. I think of it is like you're growing backbone for the financial industry to say, you know what? You know, we're, or as Tom Hagnes says, you know, these other people that demonize these things are fake fiduciaries. They claim to be fiduciaries. By the way, Dave Ramsey is not a fiduciary. He's not a financial advisor. They tell you that very plainly on all of their uh, smart investor pro things. Um, he's actually more of a lead generation company and a right. financial education company. And I would say 90% of the education is good. It's just, but to me, it's that people adopt like an all or nothing approach and not a nuanced approach. And I don't care who you meet with, nothing is good all, like I've had people who come to me, they uh, think of a dear listener friend that I got as a client because the mother at an 85, was an 85 year old mother who had a universal life policy. The universal life policy was set to blow up. Did I go, oh, cancel it, it stinks, it's a bad product? No, we found a way to salvage it and the heirs got 250. And I got a client for life, undying gratitude because we didn't have a uh, all or nothing approach, we had a nuanced approach. So I think this benefits people because I've had so many listeners over the years who the nuanced approach is how you deal with these things. Because like you said, if you cash something out, you're gonna have surrender charges, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been best in the first place, but it could be long-term. So folks, 888-988-JOSH, if you want the book by David McKnight, what's your latest book that you recommend everybody to read? I think Power, Power Zero is just a great foundational place to start. It sets the table for all the other books. So start there, uh, maybe follow up with Look Before You Lurp and then Tax Free Income for Life. Great. So folks, any of those David McKnight books, if you want one, call us at 888-988-JOSH. I'll give you one when you schedule and keep your no obligation review. 888-988-5674. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future in a down economy. Josh and his team at the Jelinski Advisory Group can help you lower your taxes and lower your risk in these uncertain times with a 27-point checklist designed to improve your financial health. Whether you're worried about runaway prices, fear of an upcoming recession, or a stock market meltdown, tune in to the financial quarterback and count on Josh Jelinski to call the play. For a free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check, call 888-988-5674. That's 888-988-5674. Or visit Jalinski.org. That's J-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.org. And we're back with David McKnight, author of the Power of Zero series, which I love that whole concept. So I, I do want us to like go back to that concept for people who are not familiar with your work, but more on the book, why are you focusing on financial gurus? Like, does anybody ever even listen to Clark well, Howard anymore? I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times what happens is I might make, and this may happen to you, I might make a recommendation to, uh, you know, a client or a prospect, and they immediately go go home. They research my recommendation on the internet, and who should come up? But Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey, and they have such black and white statements that um, 
you know, if, if, a, if a client isn't willing to apply some nuance, some nuance, critical thinking to what I'm recommending, it's going to sound like everything that I'm saying is running afoul of the mainstream financial planning community. You got to remember at the end of the day, Dave Ramsey's goal, Dave Ramsey has set himself against the entire mainstream financial planning community. How do I know that? Because he's constantly slamming the mainstream financial planning. You know, he calls them lemmings. He calls them uh, nerds that are sitting in their parents' basement, you know, punching on a calculator, coming up with stupid 4% rules that don't really work in the real world. He is literally trying to heal our clients and prospects away from us and absorb them into his tribe, absorb them into his community. And you know, if he's a better marketer and actually provides better advice, I can't begrudge him that. The problem is he's not providing better advice. In fact, in our, the most recent uh, iteration that we saw yesterday, he's lit, I mean, this really lit up the financial planning community. It was all over. It literally went viral. Um, he's, you know, he's giving advice that will lead his listeners to a very, very bad place. They'll either run out of money 20 years faster than they thought, or they will only save half as much as they think is necessary to have them, you know, give them enough money to last through life expectancy. So I, I'm just trying to say, look, these financial gurus are good to a point, but if you really want to wring the most efficiency out of your retirement dollars, particularly if you're a sophisticated, disciplined investor, then these are not the people that you should be following. And why are they going to run out of money? Break that down because we we you made an assertion and you and I kind of get it, but I don't think the it's not that bad. Like, why is yeah. that so bad? Okay, so let's let's say you got a million dollars and you retire at age sixty five. Um, the Monte Carlo scenarios that were first done by Bill Bengen, like you said back in nineteen ninety four, it's all about how much can you take out of that corpus of money and what is the likelihood that you'll be able to continue to take that money out until you die, right? And, and most people, their greatest fear in retirement is running out of money before they run out of life. And so that's where they came up with a 4% rule. The 4% rule says that you can take 4% of your day one retirement balance per year, adjusted every year thereafter for inflation. So for example, the first year, you could take out 40,000 if you get that million dollar balance. Second year, you can take out a little bit more than 40,000. Maybe, what is that, 41,200 if it's a 3% inflation and keep going up every year thereafter. That gives you like an 86% chance that you will not run out of money before you run out of life. Dave Ramsey says, throw that out the window. That's just some nerd in his mom's basement punching a calculator. It's not real world advice. What I say is you should be able to take out 8%. Now, the only problem with that is when you run the Monte Carlo scenarios, 8% says, and then if you have your money in 100% stocks, like Ramsey says you should, you will run out of money 89% of the time. That means that you will be, you know, you will get to a point in your life where you have to subsist and eke out an existence on social security alone. Okay, so that's a pr that's a problem. Okay, so that so that's one side of it. The other side of it is, uh, let's say that you can you can live on eight percent. You you can take eight percent. That means you only have to send uh, uh, save half as much along the way. And that's what Dave Ramsey's saying. He's saying the four percent rule makes you think, makes you believe that you have to save twice as much as you really need to to have enough money to meet your retirement needs. Uh, down the road. And so on the one hand, you could be running out of money early, or on the other hand, you're just not saving enough. And that's just based on Dave Ramsey's. I mean, he'll say stuff like, when you, if you, if you were to, if you were to save 500 bucks per month for the next 15 years, you'll have $500,000, assuming the 12% growth. And starting day one, that $500,000 corpus of money, I've heard this one time, he said, it will lay 50,000 golden eggs every single year for the rest of your life. And the, the caller in, the caller says, really? And he goes, really? It's mathematically true. So so that's why I'm trying to take a stand on some of this stuff. Yeah, I just did a little calculator. I put a million dollars in, but a million dollars invested in the 60-40 portfolio because that's the other point. The Bengen study of 4% is based on 60% being in the S&P and 40% being in short-term treasuries, T-bills, things like that, right. which nobody really even did until the last year or two. The T-bills are becoming popular again because rates are 5%, but people didn't even do this. They put it in like the Vanguard bond index fund and that lost like 10 to 20% last year. So the, the study has some flaws in it and that's the work from 1994 included really high interest rates from 1994 to 2000. 
it didn't include the period from 2008 to like a year ago where rates were near zero for over a decade. But even that being said, so I, I just put a million dollars into an account, 60% S&P, 40% uh, tr treasuries. That portfolio would run out of money if you adjusted it for inflation. Um, a million dollars would go down to 363 by this year. And then if you just, you know, you could then add in different numbers and such, it would run out of money by 2028. So that was just me taking- That's based on what percent of withdrawal? Uh, just 4%. And then just increasing that by 3%. Now we don't have the numbers from 2023 to 2028. So I just put in zero. Just kind of say it was flat. And that money would run out at, at, in 2028. The other thing about these historical numbers and the 4% rule included, and that's why I think Wade Fowl revised it and said 1.9 or 3, is all of these studies, and you would hear this with Rick Edelman or some of these things, go back 30 years. And 80s, 90s, or they include the 80s and 90s. The 80s and 90s were outliers. Reagan Revolution, Internet revolution. I mean, we had the greatest invention since Gutenberg's printing press in the 90s. We will probably not have that type of innovation. And then those numbers don't show three almost negative 20% drawdowns in the last three years, last, last uh, six years. December 2018, the market dropped 18 to 20%, December of 2018. March of 2020, the market dropped about 40%. Um, last year, market dropped 22%. NASDAQ dropped in the 30s. We're coming apart upon a time. I want to get your take on this. All of these 100-year surveys where Dave gets the 12% or 10% or 7%, this was based on a time where capitalism ran free from 1920 to 1999 or 2000. Cramped a little bit of late, where the government has gone from lender of last resort to spender of last resort. The government is is getting bigger and bigger, counts for a large percent of GDP, national debt, like what you've talked about, power of zero. How, what do you think? Like these historical numbers may not pose any reality to what we'll see in the next ten to twenty years. What say you on that? Yeah, you know, let, let's say Dave Ramsey goes back. He's, Dave Ramsey says, well, you know, I can show you 12% based, you know, going back to 1926 um, on what the S&P 500 has done. Well, here, here's the what, what I usually say as a, as a ground rule. You can only go back as far in history as you are looking to prognosticate forward in time. So, for example, he recently told a lady on his show, you can get 12% per year between age 50 and age 65. Okay. Great. Well, how did he come up with that number? Well, he said basically over the last 97 years, that's what the S&P 500 has done. Well, we're not talking about a 97-year look back. We're talking about at best a 15-year look back because I think that you should only go back far enough. You should only predict in the future based on what you're projecting, what you're retro looking at back in the, in the past. So if you, for example, went back 15 years and said, what did the S&P 500 do over the last 15 years, because I'm trying to figure out what it's going to do over the next 15 years, it only did 9.3%. So this particular lady, he's saying, you only have to save $1,000 per month to meet your retirement goals if you get 12%. Well, if she only gets 9.3%, she's not going to have 500,000. She's going to have 386,000. What if, if Dave was really upfront with her, he would have said, if we go back 15 years because we're looking forward 15 years, then we can only really use the 9.3% number. If we use the 9.3% number, that's going to give you $386,000. And if instead of taking 10% out per year, you only took out 4%, you're not going to be able to have $50,000 per year, $50,000, you know, golden eggs being laid every year, like he says. You're only going to be able to take 4% on 386000 which is more like $15,000. So, so um, I think that it's, you know, we use this 12% number at our own peril when we're trying to figure out, I mean, there's real life implications when we use the wrong assumptions. And most of the time it comes down to, we won't be saving enough money to meet our goals and we will risk running out of money in retirement much sooner than we ever thought possible. 
I'm looking for this Ramsey George Camel video. I see it now. It's the November 2nd one. And the one you're probably seeing is about two hours long. You've got to go through. No, say November uh, 7th on Twitter. Um, no, it actually came out November 2nd. It didn't, it November didn't go 2nd. viral. No, November I see 7th. this. Dave publicly humiliates team personality George Camel for merely suggesting that a 3% save withdrawal rate could be used for a 30-year retirement. The sheer volume of issues speaks for itself, according to a guy named Marvin Bontrager, but I don't see it that much other than there. Did they already sanitize this? <laughs> well, Marvin Marvin is the one that, that sent it viral. Um, he's he's uh, an acquaintance of mine. We follow each other on Twitter, and he's the one that actually found the segment wow. and put it out. And that segment that he put out on his Twitter account, got that video got seen like something like 5 million times. Yeah. And so when you look at, um, you can actually go on YouTube and look at the video and see which part got wa- watched the most. You have all these little little tiny blips, and then you get to that point, like I think it's an hour and a half into it, where it's just this massive blip where everybody tuned in to watch that particular segment. And the thing that's particularly uh, interesting is that not only does he he eviscerate poor George, but his 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 daughter Rachel, who seems like a real sweetheart, is consistently trying to get a word in edgewise and say, "Well, maybe George has a point," but he just shut her down time and time again. And so, uh, and then he, of course, went on his screen about financial advisors, mainstream financial advisors, and how they're nerds in their in their in their mom's uh, basements. Uh, but that I take issue with. So you know why? I don't live in my mother's basement. I have seven kids like you do. The other thing he's doing this smart vester pro. I don't know if you go on Facebook every single day I'm getting advertised. He's selling financial advisors, lead services. Right. And so he's taking money from financial advisors to give them leads. Almost like a Salino and Barnes method. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, we're getting reports, you know, if you put your name in to get a lead, they have five advisors call you within five minutes of you putting your name in. And, um, well, well, the question becomes with all of that. Okay. Let's say you're a mainstream financial advisor. You sign up for Dave's program and you don't believe in the 8% rule. You believe in the three or 4% rule. If you are consistently preaching things that are at odds with what, you know, Ramsey core doctrines, is he going to excommunicate you from the program? Uh, what happens if you um, recommend a mutual fund other than American funds? What happens if you recommend a withdrawal rate? What happens if you um, recommend a permanent life insurance policy because you feel like ultimately that will extend the life of the client's investment? So, so there's this one thing where he claims certain core doctrines on his channel, but then he's referring all of his advisors or all of his um, listeners out to these. Uh, these independent advisors who I can guarantee you are not going to be preaching the same thing, um, you know, unless they want to, I mean, there's always the, the fear that they could be excommunicated uh, from the program. But what's worse is they could be sued by their clients if they realistically put this out, that they can take eight to 10% withdrawals. Yeah, I don't, I don't know of any financial advisor have ever who said eight to 10%, maybe in the 90s and the early 2000s, but I've never heard um, of that since. And I think to be fair, the program, they, they say, you know, the, the, uh, the advisor can do whatever they believe is in the best interest of their client. So they protect themselves because they couldn't. There's just, there's, there's just a cognitive distance there because they hear what Dave says on the one hand, and now all of a sudden they're getting referred to a guy that says something completely different. So there isn't any correlation in terms of the doctrine, uh, between what Dave is, is preaching and what the advisors are ultimately doing. I'm just shocked that um, I'm not, I'm not shocked that he publicly humiliated George Camel. Um, that, that seems like something he would do. I'm not even, I know he's been insistent on 12% linear returns for years. Um, you know, I, I've actually thought it was good that he had that George guy, because I thought you could see that he differed a little bit and it might, might have them be a little bit more responsible in their, you know, reporting of things. So, um, what other things we should know about your upcoming book on gurus that we haven't addressed? 
Um, well, there's, it's not just Dave Ramsey. It's, um, it's all of, all of the mainstream financial gurus. The ones that I talk about specifically are Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, Ramit Sadie, who, who, who did the, uh, I will make you rich, uh, how to get rich documentary on Netflix based on his best-selling book. I, I will make you rich. Um, you have Clark Howard, who of course has been, you know, the Clark Howard show, how to, how to pack a punch in your wallet. Uh, and then the white coat investor, all of these. Oh, by the way, Ken Fisher as well. I've got a big section of the book on Ken Fisher, uh, who is, I hate annuities and you should too. And I would rather go to hell before I ever sold you an annuity. So what I do is I basically observe that all of these advisors or all of these gurus have some things in common, namely that they preach one size fits all doctrines and they almost universally hate permanent life insurance and annuities. And so I go through and I discuss exactly why that is. And um, usually it comes down to, it's really, really tough to say, okay, permanent life insurance fits in scenario A, B, and C, but it doesn't fit in scenario D, E, and F. It's just too complicated to, you know, and what it does is it underscores the need for the listener to get a an independent, you know, financial advisor can give a customized, tailorized plan. And, and that's not really what Susie Orman is really trying to do. She's trying to say, look, Come to me, I can solve all your problems. If all of a sudden she's saying go to a financial advisor, then all of a sudden she's less relevant. She's less uh, germane to the conversation. And so I explore, number one, why they're saying the things that they do. And number two, I give counterpoints. I give evidence as to specifically why they're wrong in their claims and why there are, in fact, situations where the sophisticated, disciplined investor can utilize these tools that are almost universally condemned by these gurus and actually come out much further ahead and then mitigate a, a, you know, a series of risks that could really derail their, their retirement plan and force them to run out of money years ahead of when they ever thought possible. Let's talk about that. Why? Uh, let's first talk about annuities. How can annuities be utilized in the best interest of a client? We, we had um, the... There, there's some new, uh, some new report even came out by regulators where they're talking about annuities being, um, October 31 guidance from the Biden administration. So something against annuities right. came out. Um, right. So, yeah. So, so, so remember the name of the game is what strategy will give you the highest percentage of not running out of money before you run out of life, right? And so the most expensive way to mitigate what we call longevity risk, this idea that you run out of money before you run out of life, the most expensive way to do it is by the 4% rule. If you need $40,000 per year, adjusted every year to keep up with inflation, you better save a million dollars, and this is above and beyond social security and whatever pensions you have, you gotta save a million dollars by day one of retirement, okay? You got to have a million dollars accumulated that will crank out those 40,000, you know, golden eggs every year adjusted for inflation. Well, um, if really the name of the game is making sure you never run out of money, you could actually go get a single premium immediate annuity, what's called a SPIA. And at today's high interest rates, for only $500,000, you can get a guaranteed stream of income for $40,000 that is guaranteed to last as long as you do. And what does that do? Well, all of a sudden that frees up that remaining 500,000 that didn't get allocated to the annuity, you can now use that to get, um, you know, maybe the LIRP, the, the index universal life, where you can get um, uh, a death benefit that doubles as long-term care so that you're now shielding yourself from one of the single greatest risks you're likely to confront in retirement, which is long-term care. You can put the rest of the money into uh, a discretionary account that you can grow in the market that can now meet your discretionary needs throughout the balance of your retirement. And if you can use your uh, life insurance policy as a volatility shield, meaning you live out of your life insurance policy in the year following a down year in the market, so you can give your other assets a chance to recover, and all of a sudden you're increasing the likelihood that your assets will last through life expectancy. And so if the name of the game is making sure we, we, we don't run out of money before we run out of life, there's just more efficient ways to do it. And so when we utilize, um, for example, an annuity, we can just accomplish these things so much less expensively and free up a lot of other money to accomplish some things that can really uh, increase the quality, um, you know, increase the, the quality of life in our in our retirement. 
And I mean, it, it's funny how all these things are kind of converging at the time of your book. You got the Dave Ramsey uh, thing that Dr. Montrager, whatever his name is, put up. Um, it's Marvin Bontrager, PhD. You also have um, this new Department of Labor proposal that sort of came out against annuities. Have you read this? I, I briefly read the script of Biden's speech. I'm still sort of waiting for the other shoe to fall on that. But it, it's it just it, and I read some of the, uh, the 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 responses to that by you know the president of NAFA and some of these other industry organizations, and basically the 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 essence of what they're saying is that massive amounts of government overreach is going to effectively prevent Americans from getting the types of solutions that we've been talking about on this on this show that will increase the likelihood. Increase that their money lasts through life expectancy, increase the security of their retirement, and shield them from massive market downturns that could force them to run out of money much faster than they thought. Yeah, but there, there, there's ton of erroneous data in the report. One such thing is that commissions come out of the. So an annuity pays a commission generally the advisor. It's, it's actually saying requiring advisors to make recommendations in the best, savers' best interest can increase retirement savers' returns by between 0.2 and 1.2% per year. So in essence, they are calling for uh, to close loopholes so that the recommendations to purchase any investment must be in the savers' best interest, which no one's against, right? No one's against doing what's in the best interest of a client Generally, I'm not I'm sure you aren't as well, but it's then how it's defined. And there's a bunch of erroneous assumptions. One of these things is these inadequate protections and misaligned incentives have helped drive sales of annuities up 25% year to date. What they're not realizing is that people are putting money into annuities because interest rates are up. <laughs> and Many people are retiring, so they don't want money in the market anymore at a higher clip. So it's just not a balanced appraisal. So I guess kind of piggyback on your other thing. Um, how is an annuity in the best interest of the client? You mentioned longevity yeah. insurance. Now, obviously, there are yeah. ones I probably wouldn't recommend. There are probably ones you wouldn't like. Um, and the ones that have higher fees are generally variable annuities. Fixed index annuities do not have internal fees. They have caps, which are generally fairly disclosed to the investor before they do it. And they have surrender charges, which are also disclosed to the investors before they do it. Um, but you get an exchange of that protection. So how can an annuity, like a fixed index annuity, be right for somebody? Well, one of the things that I think that Biden statement and that whole DOL thing gets wrong is they assume that everything is a stock market replacement. So, for example, if you put money into a fixed index annuity, let's compare that money to how it would have done had you simply kept it in the stock market and had you kept it in the stock market, you wouldn't have these fees. Whereas in the fixed index annuity, you do have the fees and let's run run it out over time, and which one's likely to give you more money. That's not really how the FIA should be positioned. Really, as Tom Hegner says, he says the FIA is, is a bond replacement. Reach into your portfolio, pull out the bonds, replace it with a fixed index annuity. You'll increase your return, you'll lower your risk, you'll lower the standard deviation of your entire portfolio. You'll experience a better outcome over time. What do I mean a better outcome over time? You'll increase the likelihood that your money will last through life expectancy. Every study that's ever been done shows that the returns inside a fixed index annuity over time are superior to the returns you're experiencing in the bond and you take less risk along the way. How could that, now you'd have to take the rest of your portfolio and make sure that there's no bonds in that and make sure that's all stock because that's now become the stock portion of your portfolio because the annuity is the bond portion of your portfolio. So you have to do some reallocating, but how is that not an improvement on your situation? And if you can ultimately take a guaranteed lifetime income out of that annuity, Oh, and by the way, if you get it with the right company, you can do what's called a piecemeal internal Roth conversion along the way so that you can then take tax-free income for life out of that fixed index annuity. I mean, these are all good things. I can't, I can't fathom why you wouldn't want to include these as part of a balanced, comprehensive approach 
to, you know, to retirement planning. It just boggles the mind. It's just, they're just looking at it in a very sort of myopic and sort of one-sided way. Also think if you compare this to a bond fund or a bond ETF as a comparison, bond funds lost money last year. Fixed annuities did not. Fixed index annuities did not. Now there should be disclosure on these products, which there already is. Surrender charges are disclosed. But they even call out something called junk fees, which I don't even know what they're referring to because a basic fixed index annuity or fixed annuity doesn't have any junk fee. Might have a rider fee, which might buy income for life. But uh, I I think whoever's drafting these, they're saying, well, we want everybody to be fiduciaries. We want everybody to have a 1% fee or 2% fee, but what is the fee? Then, then the government says, well, what fee is appropriate? Can you charge 1%? Can you charge one and a half? Can you charge 1.75? Can you charge 2%? And then what is saying the, the government from saying, well, you shouldn't pay anything. If you have 1% bond fee, you should just buy the bonds direct from the government. You should purchase the debt, which is maybe where this is all headed, that, that the government wants uh, more and more citizens to buy the debt. So... It's well, if 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 if, if it re- were really a question of fees and which option gives us the lowest fees, then we should all put our money in savings accounts, right? Because savings accounts have no fees. So we're not really looking at uh, fees are only a question in the absence of value, right? Um, if the FIA is not giving you any value at all, then you should you have every right to question the fees that you're paying. But the FIA does give you economies of scale. You're, ba- you're able to basically piggyback on the insurance company's portfolio. They have massive economies of scale. So you, you can basically piggyback on the, their general portfolio and get higher rates of return for less risk along the way. So, and the ability to draw a guaranteed lifetime income that's adjusted, that, you know, is adjusted for inflation over time. These are all things that provide value. Fees are only a problem in the absence of value. And I think, fortunately, you can make a very strong case that the FIA, and this is the basis of my whole book, Tax-Free Income for Life, particularly if you can get that FIA inside a Roth IRA, it can give you a guaranteed, inflation-adjusted, tax-free stream of income that's guaranteed to last as long as you do. That's a pretty, I mean, that's designed to neutralize a lot of stress and angst that you would otherwise feel in retirement. The person that wants an FIA wants some protection should the market go down. A lot of people cannot handle market volatility and they, they're okay with a cap that limits the gain on the return. It's really to compete with a bond alternative, not the stock market. And I don't know anyone. I mean, there might be some rogue advisor misrepresenting these things, but most people position the annuity as a bond alternative, not as a stock alternative. And no one's questioning well, that yeah. over a 10 or 20 year period, <laughs> the stock market may make more money. What, what was your thought on there? You were laughing. Well, I'm only, I'm thinking about the, the life insurance return plan, that index universal life. If you look at a lot of the naysayers when it comes to index universal life, which is basically built on a very similar chassis as the fixed index annuity, a lot of these uh, so-called gurus, be they, um, you know, there's a guy out there named Jeremy Schneider, Personal Finance Club. They love to do these comparisons where they say, hey, you got a $10,000 per year. You could put it in the S&P 500 index fund, or you can put it in, in an IUL. Let's run it out for 40 years. Which one gives you a higher balance? Oh, the, the, the S&P 500 is a million dollars ahead. In other words, because you did that IUL, and you might as well say FIA in the same sentence, because you put that money into that product, you just cost yourself a million dollars. It's just this overly reductive, simplistic way of, of, of running the comparison. Because at the end of the day, these, these products, these solutions are not stock market replacements. They're bond alternatives. So we should be comparing them to bonds, not stocks. It's just, it's just too easy to, to, to set up this comparison where you're comparing something that's designed to, to produce safe and productive returns against a stock market portfolio that's designed to give you, you know, eight to 10% over time, but where you have to take massive amounts of risk along the way. So you just, we just have to make sure we're doing apples to apples comparisons and not fruit salad. Yeah. And that, that and that's a good point. It, 
It's a bond replacement. It's also a CD re- alternative or cash alternative. A lot of people who do money in these types of programs don't have, you know, the options within their 401k where they, oh, I have a 0% cash account. I have a 2% cash account. I have a 3% fixed rate and I want to be able to have a higher potential to, for return, but it's still a principal protection. So we talked about annuities, talked about insurance. Um, any other comments on insurance of how life insurance can be a viable uh, viable savings alternative or cash alternative? Well, I, I don't want to gloss over this concept that um, I really hammer home in that, that, that novella, that short financial novella called um, the Volatility Shield, which is your producer's favorite one. Um, basically, the, the premise of that book is that if you accumulate three to five years worth of living expenses inside that life insurance policy before you reach retirement, and then you live out of your life insurance. In other words, you pay for your living expenses out of your cash value of your life insurance policy in the year following a down year in the stock market. What you do is you give your stock market portfolio a chance to recover before you take further distributions. And that act alone, if you can do that, you know, if you can get three to five years worth of living expenses, according to all the Monte Carlo scenarios that I've run, you can now take not 4%, not 5%, not 6%, but 8% sustainable withdrawal rates from your stock market portfolio with a 95% chance that your money will last a full 30-year retirement. And this is this is something that Ernst & Young recently came out with a study on. I mean, this is a pretty reputable organization, Ernst & Young. They recently came out with a study where they show that this volatility shield, this volatility buffer type concept using permanent life insurance can extend the life of all your other investments. So I, I just want to be clear that for people that you know have 15 years or so before they plan on retiring, this is a, a very, very proven um, way to be able to increase your sustainable withdrawal rate on all your other assets. And this is something I talk about in my upcoming book, which flies in the face of what all these financial gurus are saying, that uh, the permanent life insurance sucks 100% of the time. It's a steaming hot pile of garbage. If anybody ever brings it up, you should turn around and run the other way and never work with that person ever again. So these are the types of you know, mistruths that I'm trying to uh, combat by and that the you're trying to combat as well by by doing the things that we do day in and day out. Can you explain as as we kind of conclude this interview, we're talking about um, the book that started all, Power of Zero. Explain the core philosophy behind it, the core principles, and why tax efficiency is so crucial for retirement planning. We talked about misinformation. Sure. We talked about a little bit of annuities. We talked about a little bit of insurance. Uh, let's talk about the broader Power of Zero philosophy. Yeah. So the first thing that I do in the power here is I try to persuade the reader that tax rates, even 10 years from now, are likely to be dramatically higher than they are today. And I go through a lot of the evidence and the third-party experts to explain why that is. Uh, we've got $34 trillion of debt. It's going to grow by $2 trillion per year until 2033. And then 2033 and thereafter, it'll grow by $3 trillion per year. We will come to a point in time where the cost of servicing that debt will consume the entire federal budget. So we're mushing into a future where most experts agree that tax rates could be twice as high as they are today. And here's the problem with that. If the lion's share of your retirement savings is in tax-deferred vehicles like like IRAs and 401ks, how much of that money is really yours? Well, it's hard to say because you can't really accurately predict what tax rates are going to be in the year you take that money out. So what I say is we're in a we're in a period of historically low tax rates. Why not systematically reposition those dollars? to tax-free. Yes, you will pay a tax, but you'll be doing so at historically low tax rates. So number one, tax rates are going up. Number two, in a rising tax rate environment, there's an ideal amount of money to have in the taxable and tax-deferred buckets. And then uh, really principle number three is that if we have more than the ideal amounts in those buckets, we should systematically reposition those surplus dollars to tax-free. You want to shift that money slowly enough that you don't rise into a tax bracket that gives you heartburn, but you want to do it quickly enough that you get all the heavy lifting done before tax rates go up for good. And I'm predicting that tax rates are really going to get out of hand, not in 2026. 2026, they'll revert back to what they were in 2017. But in 2030, 
I think the tax rates are really going to skyrocket. And you know, even Susie Orman agrees with me on that. So we just got to make sure we're taking advantage of these this, this window of opportunity within which to take advantage of, of historically low tax rates. Thank you so much for joining us, David McKnight. Uh, where can people find more of your works? DavidMcKnight.com or Amazon? David, David, DavidMcKnight.com. You can get pretty much everything you, everything you want right there on that, on that site. Thank you. Always a pleasure. My pleasure.